0: On the eve of his crucifixion, Jesus prays to his father. I have given them your word, and the world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them from the world, but you keep them from the evil one. Hey everyone, welcome back. I'm your host, Nate Gazau, and you're listening to Aliens on Earth. Thank you for joining us. We've got a very special episode lined up just for you. Stick around. Culture. What is culture? Let's think about this for a second. What is culture, and what culture or cultures have we assimilated to? Or what do we consider ourselves part of? Some culture is passed down by family, some is tribal, some is communal. Some are specific to an area or region that we grew up in. So the dictionary defines culture as the arts or manifestations of human intellectual achievement, something that's regarded in that essence collectively. Customs, arts, social institutions, achievements of a particular nation, people, or social group. So let me ask you this, have you ever experienced culture shock? A lot of times culture shock is, let's just say, for example, a family packs up and leaves a community and country where they grow up or, you know, in a community that that's all they've known and settle into a new place. It could be a bit different, you know, different people, different way of life, different way of doing things, different way of thinking. With the growth of social media and technology in the world, it's become easier to adapt because the world is more aware of new cultures and different ways of doing things. Let me tell you an example. So a while back, a friend of mine immigrated to the United States with her family. She was in sixth grade. When she was in class, she would raise her hand to answer questions when the teacher would call on her. She would stand and give her response and then sit down when she was done. (laughs) as she's telling me this story she begins laughing too and she's just reliving the faces that the kids had and the way they would look at her when she did this how they would just stare and be like what's going on with this girl it's interesting because my friend told me one day she was going back from class and one of the kids told her hey you know you don't have to stand every time you give a response you can just give your response as you're seated It just got me thinking like something as simple as this is a result of two clashing cultures. In the school where the girl came from, some principal had made a rule maybe a long time ago you know this was just the norm you stand up to respond to the teacher as a sign of respect that rule became the norm in that school maybe across a whole bunch of different schools but when she came to the united states there was a different way of doing things or a different set of rule it was sort of a strange experience not just for her but for the people around her as well culture is a really powerful thing we take pride in it we get offended when someone belittles our culture or speaks harshly towards our culture, sometimes even give our lives to defend our culture. Culture is a way of life that keeps a group of people on the same page. It's a common and accepted way of leading life to adapt to our environment and really to live in harmony with one another. A kingdom or an entity is not just governed by law and constitution, it's also governed by a culture. In fact, the purpose of law and constitution is to create a culture. A culture is the system of beliefs, disciplines, practices, and relational boundaries that reveal how life is lived. So people living out this culture or cultures is what attracts outsiders, or really it could repel outsiders to either commit to the culture or condemn it. For example, if you're committed to fitness, you're committed to fitness, and you embrace gym culture, your healthy habits, you wear certain brands, you subscribe to certain podcasts and magazines, you have friends that share your thoughts and beliefs, you may enter athletic competitions. You may commit to having a fit body by, you know, what you see around you and it pushes you to embrace that culture people who aren't committed to that cause but represent the culture they delegitimize the cause let Let me give you an example you're a fitness trainer at a gym and whoever the gym owner is has rules regulations best practices in place these rules are to be followed by everyone staff members members and members alike let's say a culture is formed around those rules people that go there are happy there they believe in the cause they believe and abide by the rules they may even carry a sense of like pride you know going into the gym when they tell their friends oh yeah i go to this gym and but imagine you as a trainer at the gym step away from the rules and regulations and start acting on your own now you are misrepresenting the gym owner, a culture that was formed and now you're going against that. And you're causing people to either adapt to a false culture or an incorrect culture, or you cause the once happy members of the gym to get disconnected or just leave altogether. It's very important to know that people of influence and people of positions that have some authority have power to influence culture. Their commitment to a cause or to the one who has established that cause is critical to maintain the integrity of that position and representation. God is our creator. Ultimately, we're his children. We've been given the word of God to live by, and this is our mandate. God's laws, his principles and values are shown in his word. In Matthew chapter 5, from verse 2 to verse 10, Jesus introduces his culture, the kingdom's culture. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of God. Jesus in here shows us that this is the culture that leads us to blessings, the knowledge that he is our ultimate blessing. These beatitudes are the way of life for a believer and a representation of God's heart. In other words, this is kingdom culture. And Jesus goes on further in Matthew 5 to tell us that you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill, that can't be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all those who are in the house. And it says, Your light must shine before people in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify the Father that is in heaven. So in other words, we're not just committing to God. We're not just committing to the king. We're committing to the advancement of his kingdom. We're committing to further his kingdom along. And how is that? It's through embracing kingdom culture. People will see the good works and deeds that we do, the fruits of that culture and they will glorify and honor God. Guys, it takes commitment to the advancement of God's kingdom. Nowadays, you know, people are just trying to be saved and stop there and live their lives however they want, but that's not how it works. Jesus goes on further in verse 17 to say, Don't presume that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. For truly I say unto you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of the law shall pass until it's accomplished. Therefore, whoever nullifies the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven but whoever keeps these and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven so he's saying he didn't come to earth to create a new thing that didn't exist before he's saying he the law that existed before that still remains but i've come to be the fulfillment of that law and in verse 20 he says unless your righteousness far surpasses that of the scribes and pharisees you will not enter the kingdom of heaven and we'll kind of dive deeper into that in a little bit but jesus is in essence flat out saying that if you're committed to the advancement of the kingdom you will live in this way if you are committed to christ you will embrace and walk in this culture above everything john chapter 15 tells us something very interesting and very important as well jesus tells us that he's the true vine and the father is the vine dresser every branch that doesn't bear fruit he takes away let's kind of pause right there for a second every branch that doesn't bear fruit he takes away so real quick let's look at these branches as thoughts ideologies beliefs actions or in other words culture that does not bear fruit he takes away what fruit is he talking about here well paul tells us in galatians the fruits of the spirit are love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control. Jesus is saying that because he is connected to the Father and committed to the kingdom and its advancement, that the Father guides him in every way and removes or plucks out branches, quote-unquote, or cultures that don't bear godly fruit, or in other words, that don't align with God's culture, and he prunes the ones that do. Christ tells us that we, as his followers, are clean. We've been made clean because he's spoken his word over us, but it's up to us to remain with him. That means we must commit to his word and live to advance his kingdom. Then we can bear fruit and display a kingdom lifestyle. Jesus goes on to tell us without him, we cannot bear fruit, meaning we can't live a life that displays his kingdom's culture apart from the king himself. So apart from him, we're capable of doing nothing. I want us to really quickly look into the Old Testament for a second. Do you guys remember the story of daniel and his friends shadrach meshach and abednego these young men were children of israelite nobles and followers of god when they were taken to captivity in babylon they faced a culture shock the way the people talked, acted and drank the way they dressed their diets were totally different when these young men went into the service of the king they were expected to embrace that babylonian culture and really just start eating at the king's table and feasting on things that really weren't accustomed to at the time and that went against what God had commanded them to eat. The amazing thing about this situation, if we could just really be honest with ourselves for a second, think of yourself in that situation. Daniel and his friends had every excuse to join that culture because their lives honestly depended on it. Their home was gone, families were gone. They didn't have anything left really. But Daniel and his friends decided that they would not abandon their God and his laws, that they would hold firm to their culture and not blend in. They decided to eat only the foods that God had allowed. In doing so, God honored them for remaining committed to his cause, to his kingdom, really. They were 10 times better than the Babylonian men of their age. It's so easy, really, to justify something as simple as food. It's just a type of food, right? I can have it. Why not? God will understand. I mean, come on. Everything's been taken from me. Now you want to take my food too? These young men were dedicated. Whether their circumstances were favorable to them or not, they would remain loyal to God. And what's interesting is their loyalty to to God didn't depend on what God did for them. Their loyalty to God was because he was their God and it wasn't because he provided them with all these other things. Because this is where we see them, you know, being tested. Further down the line we see them again holding firm to God and refusing to bow to a foreign king that was actually claiming to be God himself. So they were thrown into this furnace and once again the Lord rescues them and the people of Babylon were filled with awe because they see this and and they're in this fire. They're in this pit. Their clothes remain unburnt. They remain unburnt. They were just like, who are these people? Their commitment to God and the advancement of his kingdom kept them within culture. And they bore much fruit. You know, when they're walking with God, they're obeying God and God is blessing them. He's making them 10 times better than the people around them. You know, other people have no choice but to see this and really be like, what is this? And they represented God well. They didn't delegitimize the image or or reputation of what it means to be his follower. They shined like salt and light to people around them. They were the most esteemed in the king's courts. And eventually, King Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges God because of Daniel's faithfulness and commitment to the cause of his kingdom. When Jesus says that without me you can do nothing, this is exactly what he meant. We can't bear fruit unless we remain attached to Christ. Fruit is not for ourselves really, but for the people around us, for the community around us. Part of advancing God's kingdom is bearing fruit. You can only give a true representation of who God is and how he desires us to live by committing to him. Another example we see here in the New Testament now in Luke chapter 7 verse 36. Jesus goes to the house of a Pharisee named Simon. He dines with him. You know, he's called him and Simon has a lot of questions for him. But while everyone's gathered together, this woman comes out of nowhere, known as an immoral woman. She shows up to the dinner, throws herself at Jesus's feet and begins crying and wetting his feet with her tears she begins wiping his feet with her hair and and she just breaks out this expensive perfume this alabaster jar and pours it all over jesus's feet while this is all happening i'm sure again this is like a culture shock everyone's like what is going on here simon in his head is thinking okay if this guy is really who he says he is and he's a prophet then he would know what kind of lady she is and he would have nothing to do with her but he's just sitting there letting her do all this he goes back and forth with jesus ultimately jesus notifies him that really simon doesn't have much love in his heart he didn't even treat jesus with the kindness and respect that you'd give a prophet or even a common guest when having them over in your home simon shows a form of godliness but is not connected to the vine per se he didn't even give jesus water for his feet never greeted him with a kiss or anointed him with oil as was their accustomed to do especially for prophets and kings that was their way of consecrating or setting apart but this sinful woman acknowledged her need for god and fulfills all the cultural rights but the key is she acknowledges her need for god and jesus tells her your sins are forgiven your faith has set you free she's got life simon along with the majority of the pharisees of the time they delegitimized themselves and misrepresent the true culture of the kingdom which is humility peace a poverty of spirit a realization that they have a great need for a savior but they acted as though their works alone would save them their devotion to following all these rules and excluding all these other people would get them to heaven somehow and this is why jesus really spoke out against the pharisees and said don't be like them they associate with the kingdom culture but they're not committed to the advancement of God's kingdom. They're trying to advance their own through their works. Some people claim Christianity, but because they're not connected to the vine or committed to the advancement of God's kingdom, they misrepresent and display God to the world in a way that he's really not. Is the word of God really the root for us, for all the things we do? Some of us do things because that's the way our dad did it, his dad before him, or even his dad before him. So it must be right right? Christianity can't really be rooted in American culture or any culture. Patriotism. God bless America, right? It must have roots in God's word and his kingdom's culture. Jesus is divine. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Christians nowadays have adapted the cultures of this world and claim Christianity without being committed to God's word, really, or God himself. Quite simply, this is why an artist can go on stage at the Grammys and Thank the Lord Jesus Christ, their savior, for the explicit lyrics that he or she just wrote. And our Christianity can't be based around some hand-me-down cultural perspective or lens that's outside of God's word. People view Christianity nowadays as some insurance policy. They pay their dues on Sunday so they can be part of some movement. And, you know, when they get into a bind or when they get into a situation, their Christianity would cover them right. But just because something was done for hundreds of years or because we see other people doing it doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it worthy of following. Just because our family does it even doesn't make it right. Some people live without committing to any cause, but they inherit a cause to live for by someone else. And I hate to break it to you, but that won't cut it. Whatever you're committed to is the culture you'll embrace and emulate. When you're truly committed to the king, which is Jesus, and living by his principles and culture, you'll be a correct representation of him bearing a lot of fruit. People will see that fruit and either accept Christ or reject him? As kingdom citizens, I I really want to challenge you. I want to challenge your beliefs. Are you committed to the advancement of God's kingdom? Do you live out kingdom culture in your belief, behavior, speech, or actions? Are you misrepresenting God's kingdom by holding onto a culture or way of life that opposes God's word? Your commitment to God must surpass your commitment to any country, any social club, or any community. I'll end with this. There's a story of A rich young ruler in mark chapter 17 through 22 this guy the bible refers to him as a rich young ruler he amassed a ton of wealth he's got a lot of property a lot of riches he's really what someone would look up to as a mentor or, you know, someone that's got their life together and he has authority. says he's a ruler, so he has some influence. But this guy comes running to Jesus and kneels before him and he refers to Jesus as good teacher. And what's interesting about this is he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Let's stop right there for a second. Does anyone else kind of hear this? The tones of these questions. The young ruler thinks there's something that he can actually do to attain eternal life. 5. And Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. To be quite honest with you, I don't think Jesus would have responded in this way if the ruler would have came to him already acknowledging Jesus as God. Because the fact that he didn't even acknowledge Jesus to be God, he calls him a teacher. But then God goes, well, there's no one that's good except God. Jesus is showing this man that there can be nothing good outside of God. Again, Jesus asked this rich man, have you followed? followed the commandments and the man says he's followed them all since he was young. In other words, he's been going through these motions because that's what he knew as a Jew, right? Jesus tells him, you're missing one thing. Sell all your possessions and come follow me. The rich man walked away from Jesus, sad because he had a lot of possessions. And this is honestly really painful to, to see. He assumed he could get into heaven on his own terms. His whole life was uh, as a cultural follower that lived disconnected from the true vine. He lived disconnected from God but he still went through all the motions. Ultimately, you know, when it came time to choose the kingdom of God or the riches he had built up for himself, he chose the riches. For a second, just imagine with me how many people this guy influenced. How many people did you think looked up to him or followed him? He's a wealthy guy, got everything together, but he was ultimately a misrepresentation of good and of God, even though he kept commandments since he was young. Because To be honest, it was all about him all along, what he could do in his empire, his actions. Seeking salvation without the desire to share it and advance God's kingdom is selfish. If we were here and if that was what we were meant to do, God would have taken us immediately upon accepting God. In our day-to-day lives, we are a living representation or misrepresentation of God. And by the way, healthy branches naturally bear fruit it isn't something you have to conjure up or try super duper hard to achieve the result of remaining connected to the vine and truly abiding in christ is bearing fruit looking like jesus to the world around us i want to challenge you with this are you committed to the advancement of god's kingdom if so do you emulate his culture are the fruits of the spirit evident in your life are you connected To the vine. That means, do his words abide in you? Do you read and study scripture? Do you apply it to your life? Do you desire a relationship with God? Or is it just another checkbox on a list? Christianity without Christ is like a branch separated from a tree. It's really just firewood, right? But it's never too late while we're still living to get connected to the true vine. Commit to the king, seek him, and walk in his ways. If you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes that we have on this podcast, please download it, share it with your friends, leave us a comment, tell us what you think. Until next time, this is Aliens on Earth. We'll see you next week.